it was me over and over going, do give, come and do give, come and do give, come and do give. Oh my God, can they can hear us. <laughs> Coven is in the building. Anyway. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. Stephanie, how do you do? I am doing here things. Welcome to your podcast. Welcome to your podcast. Cancer for breakfast. That is what we call it. It's almost October, Amy. We're going to be talking about October. We're going to be talking about October. (laughs) And not the fun part of October either. Not the spooky cocoa. Blankets, yeah. ghosts part. Maybe we w- we should just do one episode that is nothing but ghost stories and no <gasps> cancer. Yeah. As an escape. Escape from October. That's what we'll call it. I really like that idea. Fuck it. We just came up with it now. It's happening. We've announced it. We're not going to make liars out of our damn selves. If you have a true ghost story that happened to you, you better send it to us right now. Cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. We will read that. I'm loving this idea. October is my favorite second only to September. But now that September got fucked by cancer, maybe October is my new favorite. Oh, but October just got fucked, too. Oh, October has been fucked. And that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about pinkwashing, which is something you hear about a lot if you are a breast cancer person or close to a breast cancer person, but maybe you don't actually know what it is. Like my very own partner, Kevin, just asked me specifically the other day. He was like, "Uh, I kind of know there's like some shit up with like Susan Komen and people are bummed, but like, I just can't figure out why, you know? Did you just like unfold your presentation? I did. You were like, I've been waiting for you to ask. I was like, move your dinner to the side. (laughs) Sit down. Let me get out my trifold board. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, no, I was like, just fucking tune into my podcast next week. Yeah. Because Steph's going to lay it out. That's right. Um, do we want to get right into that or talk a little other stuff? I mean, we were talking earlier about this, and I know we don't want to devote too much time to it because we do have uh, October and pink washing on the sketch, but... Um, we lost a buddy this last week. Our friend Doug, who was our Twitter friend and our Instagram friend, who had metastatic prostate cancer. And mm-hmm. we were just talking about, you know, the shittiness of losing cancer friends that you make in this community. And, you know, like it comes with the territory. You you watch people die. Yeah. And before... You pause the episode or press stop because you don't want to hear this stuff. 
I think it actually is important to listen to, even if you are at a point in your treatment or your diagnosis where that just feels like it's too much. Um, because it is just something that like, it's why this whole fucking thing sucks. You know, it's why this is all so scary. And if you are going to be in any way involved in any sort of support system or get to know any people who are dealing with something similar to you, it's just at some point it's going to happen. And I think it's happened for all of us. It has. And you know, this is maybe a weird opinion to have, but I also think that there's something really poignant and really beautiful about witnessing somebody at their most vulnerable, Mm -hmm. at their most honest, at those last stages of their life where they're just laying it all out and they're scared and they're sad and you get to be scared and sad with them. It's just like the ultimate human experience. And it is really horrifying in so many ways, but in a lot of other ways, it's a privilege to know people as they're dying And like, God, what a weird fucked up thing that I never thought I would be saying previously. But, you know, I have friends who work in hospice and friends who are healthcare providers who are nurses and stuff. And they actually have said the same thing to me that caring for people through their whole lives is really an important job to do. And I don't know. I think it's it's really not cool, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's something it's something to witness people's end days yeah. And Doug, he was so open and so sweet and honest. And I think that everybody who does that for everybody else, you know, like reading mm-hmm. his tweets and reading his posts and stuff, he takes some of the fear out of it because you get to see what it's like. You get a front row seat. And for some of us, for a lot of us, I mean... <laughs> All of us are going to die. In fact, bummer news, but whether Mm -hmm. it's cancer or something else. And, you know, I think that it is, like I said, it's a gift to to get that window into somebody else's experience. It really is. I just came across something and sorry if this is like some total cliche thing that was going around the Internet this last week. I have no idea how I came across it or what, but it was talking about if you ever witness a death or discover somebody in your household has passed or sit next to somebody as they've passed or, you know, Mm -hmm. it said, just sit with it for a minute and wait. Don't just, you know, your automatic reaction is to call, you know, like call the non-emergency line or call the whoever the hospice gives you the phone number to or or the coroner or the whatever. Yeah. But they were like, just sit. And this is a really important moment. And for 10 minutes, just take it in and, you know, just like look at that person and take some deep breaths and just sit with that for a second because it is just such a, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the words and I, maybe I can find whatever it was, but. I don't know, man. It's like I said, it's seeing somebody at their absolute most vulnerable. Like it doesn't get any more vulnerable than being dead and dying. And, you know, there's a a custom in Judaism. I don't know if it's in any other cultures, but um, we have someone come and wash the body Mm -hmm. 
and dress the body. And it's not, you know, it's not the mortician or the embalmer. Um, it's usually somebody in the synagogue community. Um, my friend Elisa is somebody who does this job. And, you know, it's communing with a, a body, which is such a taboo. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, it's a gift to the family who may not be able to do that themselves. You know, they may be dealing with their own trauma and sadness and grief. Right. And it's a gift to the dead person, too. You know, whether you believe that they have a soul or not, or, you know, once you're dead, you're just dead. It's just such a nice final kindness to do for someone to mm-hmm. make sure they go clean into yeah. into the ground or into the, you know, whatever it is that they choose for themselves when they're dead. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this one's for you, Doug. It's also, I wanted to say, too, that, like, we have these friends that we talk to on Instagram and on Twitter and in our Facebook group, and sometimes they don't respond for a while. I know. And we're just like, oh, fuck, like, what happened? And you and I talk about it. We text about it. Like, what happened to so-and-so? Have you heard from so-and-so? No. I'm... Like, I'm currently messaging somebody that we communicate with a lot that I know was having a lot of progression. And it's just like she hasn't read our response in a week and she's constantly writing. And so I'm like, I'm sending a few messages to people that she's been tagged in photos with that have commented that are clearly good friends of hers being the weirdo who's like, hey, I was a friend of... Or I was Jesus. I am a friend of so and so. Like it's just awful. But also, I mean, if you are somebody who's dealing with cancer and you witness somebody pass who has your kind of disease or you know has similar traits, but it's like something to talk about too. How we're always saying like people without cancer come up with all the reasons that it's not them. You know, yeah. when they hear and they don't realize how offensive that is, you know, oh, well, I mean, like, I've always been a vegetarian. So, I yeah. mean, like, I'm not nervous about my mammogram or whatever. But just to show that, like, you're the other, like, can't, people with cancer are the other. Exactly. But we in the cancer community do it also. The opposite. Yeah. But we say, oh, well, you know, she had this trait in her breast cancer that mine doesn't have yeah. or like hers was a more aggressive um, grade grade three yeah so it might be oh well I'm just grade one and that person's grade three and like yeah even though we're both stage two or something even if it's just in our mind it's a way of being like that's not me please that's not me please yeah but it's really hard and it, it is triggering because what are you supposed to do just take yourself out and not communicate with people and is that how you would want them to be to you like oh well that person is dealing with cancer and you know what cancer means I bet I might as well not be friends with them right. <laughs> yeah I mean it's so weird it's so weird to connect over like a, d- a potentially deadly thing mm-hmm. and then sign up for watching somebody die and that you know obviously that doesn't always happen but I don't know anybody who's escaped the cancer community without having a friend that they made mm-hmm. in the community die. And it's it's really traumatic and it's really sad. And I don't even know if the people's families always get how invested we are. And 
I mean, it has to be wild to be like, I didn't even know they had this entire (laughs) community that I've never met. Oh, right. Um, But like, we really do make these super meaningful connections and like deep, deep friendships. And we share really, Mm -hmm. really personal thoughts and feelings. And then when they go dark, it's just like, uh, wait a minute. Yeah. And even people that you don't communicate with that you just maybe follow on Instagram. I mean, I know through the podcast where we have a very active Instagram community and we just lost um, Patty. Yeah. Who had a gazillion followers and was a British dancing TV show celebrity and just like the cutest, funniest, sparkliest personality ever. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. I just fucking hate it. I hate it, too. But, I mean, it's a fact of life. And, you know, if you're feeling all of these weird mixed up emotions about it, too, like, mm-hmm. we get it. We've got you. Send us an email if you just need to vent, if you want to commiserate, if you want to be like, ah, oh, this fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. We know it sucks. Also, know your limits, because I actually just realized I hit my limit this week. Because you might have recalled last week, I said a great idea I had was for us to join any American Cancer Society, like, oh, no. fun run or walk or whatever Yeah, on Facebook and then blah, 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 post in the comments, why did you change your screening recs, da, 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 da. So, of course, I did that. I went to American Cancer Society, I clicked on events, and then I found a huge list of events. And so I just joined, like, seven or eight of them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my Facebook feed suddenly is like, I'm walking for my sister, you know, I'm walking for this person or I'm walking for myself. And it's just so many tributes to fucking dead people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is not good for me. Like, I already care about the people that I know that have cancer that I can't also care for all these like, these random ass names and reminders of how awful this is. But also... It was like I was first diagnosed with my exact diagnosis Mm -hmm. in 2012 or my my sister was and then she Mm -hmm. did this and then she died, you know, like that kind of stuff where I was like literally doing the math. Okay, so if that was 2012 and this is this and like how long until a reoccurrence and then I was like, dude, this is not fucking good for you. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So I need to leave those groups, but. It's so true. I just did a similar thing. I just, I know we just shouted out Thanks Cancer last podcast, but they tweeted this thing that was so resonant for me. It was like, take a break from Mm -hmm. cancer Twitter if you need to, like, know your limits, just like you said. And it's not only cancer Twitter, it's also just like, stop punishing yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I feel like we punish ourselves in these really weird, random ways. Like, so my kids just got. Apple watches because I'm crazy and neurotic and I'm like, okay, you're going to school. You're going to like, there's going to be some sort of active shooter situation. You're going to have to text me. So it was the cheapest option. And so we just got them those. But I set my daughter Zelda's ringtone for when she calls or texts me to this song from Steven Universe because we all love Steven Universe. Mm -hmm. And it's the song is called Giant Woman. And it's, um, all I want to do is see you turn into a giant woman. Mm. And I always think about my girls growing up. Mm-hmm. 
But then I fucking get sad every time the stupid uh-huh. ringtone goes off because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to see you turn into a giant woman. But it's just like so stupid. And so finally, after being sad about it for like two weeks, I finally changed the ringtone. It was just like, Stephanie, you dumb dumb, just <laughs> stop punishing yourself in this really random, weird way. What did you change the ringtone to? Um, Billie Eilish's Ocean Eyes, which yes. is another a favorite of my kids. So, But their eyes are never going to turn into oceans. <laughs> they are very blue and swirly and lovely, though. Oh, yeah. It's really hard. Um, oh, yeah. I guess I just also feel like part of facing your diagnosis or just cancer in general is kind of looking at the darker stuff and like seeing what's behind the curtain. I feel this way at least like, well, if I like see what's under every rock, then if I'm just like walking down the street, I'm not going to be like surprised by something. And then, Mm -hmm. and it's actually worked for me, but sometimes I go too far in where before I was just completely shut off because I didn't want to be scared yeah or find out something i didn't want to find out and now i'm just like i read so many articles i used to never do that i like listened to all sorts of cancer podcasts now i also used to never do that but then sometimes i'm also like maybe you need to like up a little bit because <laughs> yeah. like, is this your hobby now is like <laughs> no Well, I feel like there is a fine line between the three, you know, worldviews. There's the optimist, the pessimist, and the realist. Mm -hmm. The ideal, I guess, is being a realist, but you got to temper it sometimes with each of the outliers, too. Sometimes it's good to to be a pessimist and turn over all of those rocks so you know what to expect. And sometimes it's good to leave the rocks unturned Mm -hmm. so you don't have to face the reality. I remember you saying when you were very newly diagnosed which you a year ago yesterday um (laughs) (laughs) but i was like giving you the rundown of like a few really good instagram communities that i recommended that you follow and like no grief tourists allowed which Mm -hmm. is good and um a few other ones and so you were doing it and then you were like God, how do you just like not let this become your life? Or like, what did you say? Like, not let this consume you, not consume you, but it was like become your persona. What did you fucking say? I don't know. You don't? I don't know. I don't remember. All of those those months are a total blur for me. Yeah, but it was just sort of like... Because clearly I have let it become my persona because I have a fucking podcast about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, yeah, but maybe you were just like shocked to like view into like people talking so openly about it. Yeah. Nonstop, I guess. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a cancer person now. It was a, it was a very abrupt personality change. (laughs) Here she is, folks. Here she is. Um, Cancer person. Well, it's, it's been a year and... It has been a year. It's been a year since my first October that I had to um, grit my teeth through. Mm-hmm. And here we are again. Here we are. I was diagnosed in October. My two year. Is that true? Ooh, two years, it's Amy. October 18th. Which is great because the first two years are like 
the really, really high recurrence time. I mean, it, it becomes high again, but there's, I get like a few years of like less chance of high recurrence. Yeah. And then it goes back up again. But the first two years are like super high. Yeah, we're going to skate on into those easy riding years. <laughs> now I won't worry about anything. <laughs> start smoking. I'm going to start smoking Marlboro Reds. <laughs> Speaking of red, add a little white. What do you get? You get Pinktober. Pinktober. What is it? Tell us. Well, yeah. So we can blame it all on Susan G. Komen. And the Susan G. Komen Foundation, which now I believe they've officially changed their name to Komen for the Cure. Okay. Which they have trademarked. You can't say for the cure on anything. <laughs> and I'm going to give a little rundown on the Komen Foundation. Just I'm sure that people are familiar with it. It's a breast cancer foundation. They purport to peddle in advocacy and education and... um they give money to research and prevention and things like that. So they do raise between $36 million and $55 million per year on average through their quote-unquote cause marketing partnerships. So cause marketing is different than philanthropy. Philanthropy is just charity where uh, it's a it's tax deductible. Um, it's It's for a cause. It's not a thing you can buy, you know, and then some of the proceeds are, are donated. Mm -hmm. Philanthropy is just straightforward charity. Whereas what Susan G. Komen does with their partnerships is it's a partnership with a for-profit company who sells like spatulas yeah. <laughs> or, you know, whatever. And it's largely promotional. Um, it is not donation-based. So Susan G. Komen can give a company license to put the Komen pink ribbon on their products whether or not they donate any money to the Komen Foundation, which is very interesting to me. Okay. Basically, they have an entire arm of their organization that they devote to raising awareness, quote unquote. And so that does not necessitate a company to give money to research, mm -hmm. to education, to screening, to anything like that. So just having pink is the awareness sometimes. But you might be buying the pink KitchenAid mixer, but no money other than the fact that you are buying it. Right. No, no money necessarily goes to the Komen Foundation. They can say, all right, we're going to just raise awareness by having these pink items mm -hmm. or have the pink ribbon appear on the packaging or whatever. And that's, quote unquote, raising awareness. Some of the companies do end up giving money. So, for example, we've got um, American Express mm -hmm. had a partnership with Susan G. Komen. It was very highly publicized and they ended up only giving back one cent per transaction, regardless mm -hmm. of the amount of the transaction. Um, Yoplait Yogurt has an exclusive contract so other companies that sell yogurt, it doesn't even have to be a specifically yogurt company, but Briars, for example, wanted to do a partnership with Susan G. Komen and they were denied because Yoplait has an exclusive. Mm. Um, Yoplait has only given them $1.6 million for that exclusivity. Major League Baseball sells 
pink bats, pink Mm -hmm. baseball gloves. They sell necklaces, T-shirts, hats, all kinds of things with pink ribbons on them. And Major League Baseball only gives them about $100,000 per year, Mm -hmm. despite being a $1.8 billion industry. And how much are they making on those bats and all of the things that they're selling, too? Oh, God. Yeah. Just imagine. I mean, come on. So some of the more interesting ones that people have rightly complained about as being problematic, Mm -hmm. given their relationship to cancer. Or the pink Marlboro Reds. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that far off. Oh, shoot. Kentucky Fried Chicken Mm -hmm. had a a partnership with Susan G. Komen, rightly so. People said this is not promoting healthy eating habits. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously we understand that there's a link between cancer and unhealthy diets. So KFC, probably not ideal. And to even go further... I mean, I don't know the specifics of the health of KFC, but like fry oil that is not changed right? and reused, which you could assume that a place that's frying chicken at fast food is going to be using the same yeah. oil a lot, which is, is a known cancer It's risk. a known anyway. gross thing. And it's... It's a noun for mouse. <laughs> um, we've also got uh, water bottles, which are a big thing. Um Oh, so water bottles often have BPA in the plastics. Mm-hmm. And not only is that bad for people who are consuming the water, but it's bad for the people who work in the plants that produce the water bottles. And women, I mean, not just women, people in general who work at these plants are exposed to BPA and have a much higher risk of developing breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Susan G. Komen developed this perfume called Promise Me. Oh. that they marketed on the Home Shopping Network. (gasps) Stop it! And unfortunately, the perfume had known carcinogens in it. No. (laughs) Oh my God, Susan, you dirty rat. (laughs) Come on, Susan. It has coumarin and toluene, among other things. Not toluene. Not that one. (sighs) So this is my personal favorite. Um, All this information, by the way, is from Wikipedia. Um, So thanks, Wikipedia, for your (laughs) your expansive Mm -hmm, knowledge. mm -hmm. But uh, this is my favorite. (laughs) I'm sorry. Drill bits that are used for fracking. (laughs) Wait, what? Okay, so they sell drill bits (laughs) that are used for fracking. That are pink? Yes. Yes. Fracking, the practice of drilling into the Earth's lower layers. Are they also used for, like, normal? Yes, they have a whole whole range of them. You can purchase home drill bits, but they also... Specifically, that's the only use of these particular drill bits? for fracking. fracking. Yes. So, you know. Oh, wow. I'm not sure... Wait, so how much money is getting donated by the the frackers? The Who knows? Those the frackers. Fracking, frackers. Fracker fracker rock. I I do fracker? not know. Um how much the frackers are donating, but because we do know that on the top end Komen gets 55 million per year from all of these campaigns together. Um mm-hmm. uh not enough to offset fracking, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but they 
probably enough to not complain about it. Oh, you think so? To keep keep Komen from complaining? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a racket. Um, yes. And I, I do not appreciate uh, fracking in my name as a breast cancer patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the Komen.org website, um, which anybody can do, their annual report is available online as it is the case for any nonprofit organization. I encourage you all, if you give to a nonprofit, if you're interested in a nonprofit, look it up on Charity Navigator, look it up on on their organization's website. And Komen.org says that they get yearly through these cause marketing partnerships, through their fun runs, through their just straightforward donations. All told, they rake in at least in the year uh, 2019 to 2020, they brought in $195 million, mm-hmm. which is decent, right? Do you want to guess how much in total they donate to treatment? What percentage percentage oh, of $195 million do they donate to treatment? Um, 10%. 5%. Oh, my God. Uh, do you want to guess what percentage of $195 million they donate to research? Uh, 1%? 5%. Okay. And for screening, they donate 3%. So that's 13% as an organization that they donate to functionally helping breast cancer patients how much do they pay their ceo and all that stuff do you know that the ceo makes approximately six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars per year okay the rest of their budget goes to administrative costs to Mm -hmm. fundraising which means they turn around the profits that they get and give out stupid bracelets and t-shirts and hats and shit like that at the fun runs Mm -hmm. you know all of those sundry costs that come with running an organization but 13 percent, i think is pretty fucking pathetic totally yeah yeah imagine if they just gave all of that money minus like a very stripped down organizational administrative costs for like one year to like research yeah can you imagine if they only paid their CEO uh, $100,000 per year? <laughs> Can you imagine if everyone who donated to this shit just donated to like Metaviver hmm. or an organization that is actually doing stuff? That actually funds research? Yeah. Also, do you really want a pink KitchenAid mixer? No. I mean, <laughs> I want a blue one. Maybe a white one? I actually have a pink KitchenAid mixer. Oh, shit. Well, I mean, I don't even have one, and I definitely want a pink one, but not no. for that one. Do you have a breast cancer one? It's just pink. Thank God. Well, that's fine. Oh, but speaking of, you must know about lawsuits with Komen. Don't they sue people for using the pink breast cancer stuff if they're not affiliated? Like, you're not... Oh, yeah. Do you know? Yeah, they have... A specific ribbon that they have trademarked. And if you use that ribbon, um, it's just stylized a certain way. Mm -hmm. 
then they'll sue you. They also, like I said, they've trademarked the phrase for the cure. So nobody can use that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, imagine like just the money that goes into paying their lawyers for those lawsuits. Right. And like the people you're suing who are probably trying to raise money or (laughs) help literal cancer patients. You fucking deck. It's it's really shitty. And I have a long history of working with nonprofits, so I'm not naive to the fact that they have to pay organizational costs and they have to pay their staff and stuff. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, you can't market yourself as an organization that truly helps further breast cancer research when you're only giving less than 15% of your annual income to the cause. Mm-hmm. It's just messed up. Totally. So there was a really interesting specific problem with the pink washing that I thought was fascinating because we've talked about drinking and alcohol a lot on the podcast and about drinking. And mm-hmm. this is a huge moneymaker for Komen and other organizations we have in fact promoted one of them the fuck cancer can from that great brewery Mm -hmm. and like i get it right people drink it's a very lucrative market Mm -hmm. but mike's hard lemonade is partner with susan g komen Mm -hmm. sutter home winery is also a partner with susan g komen and they went so far as to offer one dollar per wine selfie on twitter when you used a specific hashtag Mm -hmm. so i realized that you gotta play the game in some ways in order to make the money Mm -hmm. but a lot of people have i think rightly raised concerns about this promoting alcohol use when we know that alcohol use (laughs) increases your risk of developing specifically breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, So it also doesn't seem to be worth it necessarily, given that Mike's Hard Lemonade over the course of their campaign has given about $1 million. And Sutter Home for their whole wine selfie campaign has not disclosed the exact amount that they gave, mm-hmm. but they say they gave almost $1 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I, I don't know if that's, you know, $500,001 or what. Right. So a million dollars to Komen, who then is donating 15% of that. Yeah, not even. So of your dollar that you're raising by that hashtag, 15 cents of it is going to somewhere. So just exactly right. Wouldn't we all do better by just donating a dollar to an organization that doesn't suck? Right. Exactly. There's this woman named Sarah Mart. She is the director of research for an organization called Alcohol Justice. I don't know really what their whole deal is, but they have put forth a study um, on the effects of these campaigns on the normalization of drinking around the issue of breast cancer and whether or not it Mm -hmm. actually promotes drinking and if people are able to kind of parse the two. And she found that it does give the impression that Komen condones alcohol use 
And so that Mm -hmm. can be really problematic um, when we're talking about lowering the incidence of breast cancer, which should be what the largest charity does. Right. Right. I I thought this was really fascinating because personally, Nathan, my husband, is on the board of directors for the local historic theater in town. Mm-hmm. And they do this fundraiser every year called Brewfest. And, you know, we live in the Pacific Northwest. It's like Brewery Central. Mm-hmm. And they get local sponsors to f- pitch in, you know, fund the event. And there's a local, like, hipster gynecologist, and they have historically always donated and been a sponsor of the event. And this year, they decided not to, and they said they didn't want to Mm -hmm. be seen as promoting alcohol use. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really responsible of them. Yeah. I mean, it is such a tricky thing because people are going to drink. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. It's so hard for me when I do feel like I like to take advantage of corporations and take their money for whatever, knowing that people are smart enough to separate the two. But Mm -hmm. then at the same time, like, you don't want the Mothers Against Drunk Driving organization to be having a cocktail party to promote their cause with free cocktails because it's yeah. just tacky right so there's a tackiness there but then there's also like i just get that there is a, a complex i don't know like if if susan Komen says don't drink people aren't gonna not drink right you know but i don't know i just like i get conflicted like i get that there's complications with like even like the ceo salary thing like no i don't think their ceo deserves that much but like the level of hugeness that that organization is, what they are. Like CEOs make a huge amount of money that are CEOs of huge companies, you know? CEOs of huge companies do make a lot of money, but CEOs of large nonprofits do not. Susan G. Komen's CEO salary outpaces the other largest United States nonprofits salaries by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I was looking at Paula Schneider, the CEO of Susan G. Komen. Mm-hmm. She has an interesting history. What is it? Uh, Paula Schneider is the current CEO of Susan G. Komen. And her work history has her as the CEO of American Apparel. Yeah. Um, and then also Delta Galil Premium Brands and as president at Warnico Swimwear Group. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sure, she was probably tapped as a strategist. Yeah. But as somebody, you know, who's been in, in the nonprofit sphere for a long time, mm-hmm. it is a really hard transition to make from the for profit sphere to nonprofits. And generally speaking, I feel like you should expect to take a pretty hefty pay cut right i don't know i think you're right that like you do have to go where the money is and people are gonna drink if they're gonna drink and we can get a little bit of money for breast cancer research then that's great but i think when you look at the numbers it's not worth it Mm -hmm. when you've got one million dollars or 
almost $1 million in exchange for the clear promotion of alcohol consumption without any context that says, hey, you know, alcohol consumption does lead to higher risk of breast cancer. Right. And you could be partnering with like a juice company that's making green juices or I mean like we would probably <laughs> make fun of them for that too but <laughs> um, but you know something that could be seen as you know healthier right and I think that what we're finding is that at least with Susan G. Komen their partnerships are disingenuous they're not making money off of that in the same way that they're mm-hmm. making money off of the 5Ks and the fun runs and things like that. The direct donations are where the vast majority of their profits lie. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense to me. Like, we all know that when you buy a chocolate bar for some kids fundraiser, mm-hmm. it would be more helpful if you just gave the $2 to the school. Right. And so I think people are primed now to just give directly to organizations like Metaviver that don't have these conflicts of interest and that don't have this weird history of right shady dealings and things like that, that give the majority of their budget to research and to education. I don't know. But people want to donate to American Cancer Society. They want to donate to Susan Komen because these are the names that they know. And people that want to donate in your name often just don't do the research because why would they? You know? Right. It's hard. People don't have time. And it's well-meaning. It's really well-meaning. Absolutely. That's kind of why I think we need to like put the word out there through social media, just saying, like, here's a better organization. If you're going to donate this October to breast cancer, donate to Metaviver. Or, I don't know, there are a few other really good organizations that we could put in the show notes that we should be promoting. Because October is, it's not Susan Komen month, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Right. There's all sorts of shit going on. There's all sorts of pink shit that isn't just Susan, you know? Yeah. There's all sorts of fun runs and fitness challenges and just fundraising going on. And so, so one really interesting thing, I went down this rabbit hole. There's a woman named Gail Sulik who wrote this book in 2011 called Pink Ribbon Blues. Mm -hmm. And I read this Vox interview with her that I will link in the show notes, but she ended up founding the Breast Cancer Consortium. And she talks a lot in this interview about how sexism plays into pinkwashing. And this idea has been kind of floating around my head, but I had never really been able to solidify my thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. And she breaks it down so clearly that because breast cancer is seen as primarily a women's issue, it's commodified so heavily mm-hmm. and it's just blatantly sexist you know women are seen as shoppers they're seen as people who uh like frivolous shit 
Mm-hmm. And so they're marketed to in this way that presupposes they don't understand where their dollars go. Right. And that's so shitty. And unfortunately, I think that people could get the impression that's true because these companies are not transparent about the amount of money that they're actually giving to the causes that they purport to support. Right. And so you've got this idea of women as consumers and they, you know, make all of the decisions for the households, buying power and all of that. And breast cancer ends up as kind of a secondary part of the equation. And that's such a shame because it really deprioritizes breast cancer as the awareness issue. Mm-hmm. There's no accountability for these companies when they slap a pink ribbon on something. If mm-hmm. it's not the Susan G. Komen ribbon that they're going to go fight you over. Mm-hmm. You don't have to show that you're actually donating any money. You can just be a company that says, here's a pink latte for October or whatever, and not mm-hmm. ever do anything that's meaningful to furthering the eradication of breast cancer. Yeah. And then what's even worse is that throughout October, no info is relayed about how to decrease your risk of breast cancer. No info is relayed about how to find breast cancer. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like throughout October we hear, what's a Mm -hmm. lipoma? You know, what's a adenoma? What, you know, what does it feel like when you've got dense breasts? What (laughs) are those two things? Like, I, I don't know. Because like, it's not October yet, and no one's told us. <laughs> Nobody told me when I was getting my pink latte. Oh, shoot. But, you know, we're all, quote unquote, aware of breast cancer, but we don't know how to lower our risk. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to find it. We don't know, you know, any of the important things that the breast cancer community knows once you're already in it. Right. So like we know the incidence of recurrence. Right. Do normal people know that? Fuck no. Right. Even though breast cancer awareness month happens every damn year. Yeah. We know that only what 4% of fundraising goes to metastatic disease. Mhm. Which is the thing that kills you. Right. People don't know that. And so it really sucks that we have this awareness month, but there's very little actual meaningful awareness. I feel like you just laid it out so well. I really, (laughs) I hope that people will share this episode throughout the month of October. Post it as a comment (laughs) on every Susan Komen fundraiser that you see. Well, and like we have those other months that are for other cancer awarenesses, Mm -hmm. but even the one that's the most publicized, I think, next to October and breast cancer awareness is Movember for prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. But all the trappings of Movember are free. It's just you grow a mustache. 
Oh, right. <laughs> and so there's like nothing to buy. Yeah. You just raise awareness by growing out your facial hair. Yeah. And it's got to suck that there's no education happening around that either. But at least they're not being sold a bunch of garbage. Yeah. Also, just the color pink in itself, I think, really ticks people off too. like the cutesy pineness of it all and the cute language around like save your tatas and stuff like that where oh yeah what's actually oh you seem like you're about to turn a page so gail sulik the author of this book the pink ribbon blues she specifically talks about this in that vox interview and she says the campaigns are all about boobs which you know obviously neglects men who have breast cancer it it really only includes cis women who have perfect, quote unquote, perfect breasts. Mm-hmm. It doesn't include fat women. You know, it's just it's like doesn't include trans people. But really, the heart of the issue is that the boobs aren't the things that kill us. Right. What kills us is a systemic disease. Mm-hmm. And so saving the tatas is not the point. Right. The point is saving the individuals from the progression of this horrible disease that goes into your bones, goes into your brain, goes into your liver. But that's not as marketable. Right. And also a very high percentage of people with breast cancer don't get to save their tatas. Exactly. And even if they get the quote unquote free boob job that is not a free boob job, they're very unhappy with the outcome of those surgeries and the tatas were not saved. Preventing breast cancer in the tatas might be more what they're saying, but it doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. like the fact that it spreads to other parts of your body is what kills you. Right. Essentially. And people don't know that. Like the education around that, when people talk about people who die of breast cancer, oftentimes, you know, it might be like, oh, I think she died of lung cancer, but she had breast cancer, but then she died of lung cancer. You know, she just had a lot of different cancer. You know, it's like that kind of thing. People don't know. They don't understand that, like, it's still breast cancer if it goes to your rib or if it goes to your lung or to your back or whatever, you know? Yeah. Even my own family, after I had explained to them that I don't have bone cancer. Oh, right. It's breast cancer in my bones. They were still mind blown by it. Right. Those are the kinds of things that we need during October. Yeah. We need that kind of education. Right. And that metastatic disease at this point, the amount of money that actually goes towards finding that cure and the fact that at this point is not curable. Right. So it's not cute. It's not pink. Right. Well, I say we raise money for Metaviver. We encourage people to donate. We should find out what their stats are. We should find out what their stats are. But also, you know, as somebody who really loves supporting small nonprofits, Mm -hmm. I always have to give a shout out to finding small organizations that make a big difference for individual people. Absolutely. Because, yes, we love funding metastatic research, obviously. Mm -hmm. But 
Look for your local organizations that buy wigs. Absolutely. For cancer patients. Yes. Look for your local organizations that provide meals for people who don't have families. You know, there's an organization in my community that is called Michelle's Love. And they're wonderful, michelleslove.org. If you are in the Northwest or in Portland and you're looking for a good org, they help uh, people going through breast cancer that are single mothers. Oh, wow. And so it's really cool. I knew about this because I have a friend who's a single mother who was going through treatment and she received meals. They would come to her house on like chemo days and watch her kid or clean her house. They send people yeah, when you're in treatment and clean your house if you're a single mother. And so after I went through treatment that Christmas, I, instead of giving Christmas gifts to my family, I donated the amount of money I would have spent for each of them to Michelle's love because I could not imagine going through treatment as a new mom if I didn't have Kevin. Like how... Would I have been able to even do all the things? And it's also so hard just having that weight of your kid and all of that stuff. And I'm not saying that to like toot my own horn or any of that shit, clearly, for giving that. But that's okay. Do that. Like some people need to feel like they're doing something. And it can feel like a drop in a bucket when you're giving $20, because that's all you have, to a huge organization. But when you give $20 to Michelle's love for a housekeeper... Susan Komen sure as shit wasn't cleaning my friend's house. Exactly. And you know that your $20 is going to be, you know, half an hour of housekeeping. Mm -hmm. I think that it can be really important and really meaningful for people to see exactly where their money is going. And that's okay if you need that. Like, no shame. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, It can take a little bit more work to find something small or find a smaller org. It's obviously not as easy as just going to the American Cancer Society website. They often, you know, only take checks or whatever, (laughs) but it's worth it, I think. Yep, yep, yep. Well, happy October once we get into it, everybody. It's coming. It is amazing how triggering it is for so many people in the breast cancer community that are already posting about it on Instagram, just saying, oh, watch out, here it comes, the wave of pink, you know, and not for the reasons we're even covering, like just the fact that it's just a huge, um, it's just so in your face that they're talking about in this way. Yeah. It's not fun to constantly have visual reminders of your cancer (laughs) when you go to the grocery store and stuff. Yeah everywhere. But also, it doesn't mean that you don't have to take comfort in some of the stuff that you do see that local organizations are working together to do during October. Because like I said, it is the National Breast Cancer Month. It is the month where I'm sure Michelle's Love is doing something for that, you know, or different groups, right? Different types of fundraising, different types of ways to market. You know, if you're doing a breast cancer fun run, it's not like we're necessarily poo-pooing on that. No, no. You know, if it's for a smaller org, you know, like I know in Portland, they do, they turn one of our main bridges pink. I don't know if it's for the month or just for the day. I'm not sure, but they do that. 
I just saw somebody was posting about it and I have no idea what large organizations are in on that either. But I do remember driving by it. I guess it would, must have been last year after I'd finished treatment a few months before, mm-hmm. you know, and just like we were driving over another bridge and just seeing a pink bridge and I didn't know what was going on, but I knew it had to be for breast cancer, yeah. you know, and I was like, oh, that's like for me, you know, and like, even though I was like, Ugh, I was also like, oh, you know, like, yeah, that's for me, you know, it's so and like no shade to people who do Komen runs and stuff like no shade to people who enjoy doing the ACS runs like we had a friend of the podcast who was like, I did so many Komen fun runs before I knew, like, apologetically. And like, oh, my God, do not apologize. Like, no, of course not. Yeah, it's not on you. It's on them. And also, how would you know? Like, how would you know to, like, look into something that seems like so obvious? Yeah. Oh, fun run? Breast cancer? Oh, I'll do it for Komen. Great. You know, where do I sign up? Totally. So I just don't want anybody to come away from this episode thinking that, like, we're judging them for participating in any of this, especially as cancer people. Like, you are off the hook. If you love pink shit, if you want to buy the KitchenAid mixer, if you want to do a comb and fun run, if you have in the past, like, live your life. We don't care. This is strictly about taking large nonprofit organizations to task for the amount that they actually fund the causes they support. Like Susan Komen, if you want to fund this podcast, <laughs> if you want to give us just like $20,000, $80,000, we will still talk shit about you, but then it, we will do our podcast. I'll take a selfie of myself drinking wine. Even. I, for $20,000, will do the same thing. All right. Each? Each. Deal. Challenge accepted. (laughs) 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 Um, Well, do we want to skip letters? Yeah, let's just skip letters. We do have a few, but they're so randomized topics and we've covered so much. We might as well just party on through to rats. Was that a rat's intro? I mean, it's not like I can call Susan Komen a rat again just to (laughs) make it good. Okay, I will. You're a rat, Susan. You're a rat. to talk about a breast cancer specific rats because obviously and this is about some good news regarding her two positive metastatic breast cancer okay um astrazeneca has developed this drug called in her two and it reduces the risk of dying 
What? <laughs> Save the tatas. I always love it. I love it when they put it that way. It cracks me up. So in a trial called Destiny. Oh, I love these trial names. They compared in her two and Cadsila. Okay. So Cadsila is standard of treatment for her two positive metastatic breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And in her two has so far only been a third line treatment. It's been around for a while, actually. But they are comparing it now, I guess, as a first line. Hmm. They used 500 people who are HER2 positive, and they found that the in HER2 reduced the risk of death or progression by 72%. Wow. And this was a whole article in the Wall Street Journal. Again, I love it when cancer news finds its way to the normal media. Yes. And it's not relegated to just science journals. Mm-hmm. So I will put that in the show notes. Luckily, that article does link to the actual study and stuff. So you can follow that trail if you like. But they're also hoping to use it for early stage HER2 positive breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in case you guys don't know what HER2 is, HER2 is a it's human epidermal growth factor receptor. It's an oncogene which is a gene with the potential to cause cancer. And HER2 positive cancers are often more aggressive, and they only make up 30% of breast cancer patients. So great news. Yeah. Wonderful news. That's amazing. I love it. Love to see it. More of it, please. Cool. Well, good rats. Why, thank you. Um, all right. Well, send us your letters, eh? Cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Follow us on that Instagram, on that Twitter. Yeah. And subscribe. Don't forget. Yeah. We just got like our 10,000th download, I think. We did. We passed 10,000. Yeah. We, we swam right by that, actually. So, yeah. Good job, stuff. Good job, Amy. Good job, listeners. Go team. Uh, yeah. Anything you want us to talk about to cover? We would love to hear from you. And thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Bye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. so much for listening thanks for listening they do give coma 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 do oh my god